Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about um, a topic, and I'm sure like me you've probably heard the words the final frontier or perhaps the last frontier, often used to describe places like Alaska, the ocean floor, space, commonly by pioneers and adventurers and, and perhaps you find that quite intriguing. You'd be like, yes, I, I would find I would be quite interested by that. And then there's some of us here that are like, no, I'm quite comfortable doing what I'm doing. I've got no desire to conquer anything or any one of those things. But the thing that I find interesting about this um, topic, the final frontier, is that it's often described being something that's somewhat mysterious, something that's somewhat unknown, something that is a little bit intriguing for some, perhaps not for all of us today. I don't know if you've seen the movie or the documentary around um, about Mount Kosciuszko. And what I found fascinating was the people's stories, you know, why they were there, why they, they wanted to risk their life <laughs> to conquer Mount Kosciuszko why they um, often were there representing either themselves, something that they'd been through a hardship, or they were there, you know, representing someone else or, or for a cause that they were quite passionate about. But what I do find most fascinating with this is that it is about conquering something because, you know, they want this sense of achievement over something. But what I want to actually put to us today, to our church today, is what if we actually made the the spiritual state of our hearts as our final frontier? What if we become became as fixated on conquering the state of our hearts as we were in other areas of our own lives? In life, we understand how physical um, health is so important, how the physical state of our hearts even is so important. Billions of dollars goes into the research of hearts to try and help us live longer. But what about the spiritual state of our hearts today? Is our hearts, are our hearts spiritually healthy? In Proverbs 4.23, it says to guard your heart for it is the wellspring for it to... T-. The New Living Translation says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of our lives The message translation, it reads, keep vigilant watch over our hearts because that's where life starts. The King James Version, keep the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible has a lot to say and that's just different translations but the Bible has a lot to say about the state of our hearts. If our heart isn't healthy physically, then we're not healthy physically If our heart isn't healthy spiritually, then we're not healthy spiritually. And while so many put so much effort into it and attention into our physical health, which is good, it is a good thing to look after our physical health, the same should be be true for the spiritual state of our hearts. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, it says that the Lord is looking at our hearts while men look at the outward appearance The Lord is looking at the state of our hearts. And so I just want to encourage with us that today. And David asks in Psalm 24, verses 3, it says, Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. His promise to us when we do this, when we're obedient to his word, it says that we will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, our Savior. I don't know about you, but I'm sure that you want blessing from the Lord in your life. I'm just going to introduce now a short clip of one of Billy Graham's sermon. It just goes for 60 seconds, and I'd love it if you could turn with me to the screen. John the Baptist lost his head when he stood up for that which was morally right. Joseph went to prison when he refused to yield to temptation. Expect to have some difficulty. And that's a part of our cross there. Jesus said, unless you're willing to deny self, your own selfish desires that are wrong, and are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my follower and my disciple. If you're going to take your stand for Jesus Christ and you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you. I'm not asking you to follow Christ because it's easy. I tell you, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's hard in this materialistic, secularistic, immoral generation. But the scripture says, let your light shine in this crooked and perverse generation. How good. And what I love about this um, short clip of Billy Graham's sermon is that he reminds us that it is going to cost us something to live in this generation, to live countercultural to the world, to live a bit differently, to live and to continually try and conquer the state of our hearts so that we can keep our hearts right, so that we can keep our hearts pure. It is going to cost us something. And so, no doubt, I've titled my message this morning, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to, so you can look back on it this afternoon or during your week, it's called The Final Frontier. Because I honestly believe if that we can can continually conquer, because it's not just a once-off, it's a continual thing throughout the rest of our life. If we can try and conquer the state of our hearts, then Scripture tells us that it determines the course of our life which is so important. And so how do we go about doing this? Three simple things for us to take away today. We do this by accepting the love of God. What I find fascinating is that where do we get the notion that we need to clean up our lives before coming to Jesus? Or we need to clean up our lives before coming to church even? Like we need to try and get it all together, all in order before we even walk through the doors of a church Yet all throughout the Bible, people flocked to Jesus. They ran to him. There were crowds constantly gathering around Jesus. And yet so often because of sin and self-preservation and following even him for a little while and being in church for years, we turn away and we try and hide what we once may have even run to him about. You know, I pray that we would be a church that would do the journey together. And that's why I even love what the creative are putting on this week, because it's like we're gathering together as a team. We're going to eat some food and we're going to um, commune with one another. And I love that because that is so vital. Not one of us have arrived. You know, no one is perfect. We're all on this journey together. No one has officially arrived home yet, right, that is still here now this morning. And yet so many of us think, oh, well, 
you know, I'm just going to hide that part of my life or I'm, I'm just going to hide that part that I don't really want to tell anybody about but to continually show up, to continually accept the love of Christ in every area of our lives is, is just vital. I think of the woman at the well. I think about how Jesus met her in her state. I think about how he speaks truth into her situation. In her mess, he brings life. But, and she does something. She accepts his love. She accepts the love of Christ. When I was at university, I'd had a friend and she was struggling with an eating disorder. And she'd gone through a series of challenges to kind of, I guess, get her to this point. And thankfully, she'd had a really good friend that invited her along to church. So she went along one night, made the most radical decision to follow Christ, where she spent her weekends changed, her friendship group changed. It was just a complete 180, an amazing story. And so she says yes to Jesus, but she's still struggling, right, with this eating disorder. And um, she's still being tempted to, to make herself sick. So she, like normal, one night walked into a bathroom. And as soon as she swung the door open, knowing what she was going there to do, she felt the Holy Spirit whisper to her, if Jesus was in the room right now, would you still go ahead and do it? And she was so convicted and challenged by that one thought. She never actually made herself sick again because she realized in in accepting the love of Christ only a short time ago that Jesus was actually the one who decided to show up in her worst state. When she was at her most vulnerable, when nobody else was there, nobody even really knew that she was struggling with an eating disorder at at the time, not even her family, but Jesus was the one that decided to show up when she was at her most vulnerable. Another friend at university shared with me how she'd been in quite an abusive relationship um, at the age of 16. In her early years of university, um, she was sharing with me how to, she was invited again by another friend, praise God for friends, who invite friends to church, (laughs) come on. I think we should even just be challenged by that. I know I was as I was preparing this and thinking, come on, we need to be inviting people He changes people's lives and he heals people. Um, And so she was sharing with me how when after she too accepted Jesus Christ in her life and made a radical decision and, and her life changed forever and some people's decisions are like that and others that we know, you know, do happen over a period or number of years. But after being a Christian for a short time, she realized that if she wanted to have a healthy relationship moving forward, that she was going to need to seek some help um, to try and heal from this past broken relationship that she'd been in as a teenage girl. So she went along and she thought, I'm going to go and see a psychologist and see if they can, get, if they can just help me become more whole because I need to get professional help here. So she goes in and she has this one appointment with the psychologist and she's sitting there explaining her story. The psychologist asks her, can you just share with me a story? And she sits there, she explains her story of what happened when she was 16. And as she's sitting there, after the story, the psychologist kind of just leans back in his chair and he just goes, I am so sorry that that ever happened to you. My friend was telling me that when she got back to her dorm room or room at college, how she just began to weep, weep and weep and weep. She just couldn't stop crying. 
And she said, because it felt like for her, it was actually Jesus that was sitting there in that chair that day. It was actually Jesus that was saying, I'm so sorry that that ever happened to you. I am so sorry that, that I never intended that to be your story. I never intended that to happen to you. And the similarity between both of these stories, it's of Jesus showing up and healing people's lives. And it's of Jesus showing up in people's messes. And that's why I think it's so important even for us today in issues of our lives that perhaps we're trying to run from or hide, that we actually accept his love. On the other side of that pain, that hurt, that offense, perhaps it's bitterness or disappointment this morning, even that trigger, there is actually freedom and that there is freedom and Jesus desires us to become whole. To not accept healing from Jesus would be like having a serious heart condition and not accepting medication from the cardiologist to try and get it under control. And it's only when we deal with our physical pain, right, that we get physically healthy. But what about our emotional pain or past trauma? What about the spiritual state of our hearts today? Do we invite Jesus into those areas of our lives too? I don't know about you, but that saying where whatever you don't deal with, your kids will, is probably the most sobering thought and, you know, um, action to actually do something about it. The second thing this morning is to be watchful over our words. In Proverbs 4.24, it says, keep your mouth free from perversity and keep corrupt talk from your lips. Matthew um, Matthew 12.34, it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your heart has, has hurt, your words will be hurtful. If your heart is bitter, your words are bitter. If your heart is angry, your words will be angry. If your heart is divisive, your words will be divisive. It's not often what we say, is it? But it's the way in which things are said. Because our words have an accent. And so what is the accent of your heart today? Have you ever had someone say something to you and perhaps it wasn't the way, it wasn't what they'd said, but it was the way in which they'd said it that just seemed a little bit off? Or perhaps it was you saying something to someone and you walked away thinking, I could have said that a little bit differently. What's the accent of your heart today? Psalm 19 verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. If we sow generosity, if we sow kindness, if we sow truth, love with our words, that's what we reap. We reap what we sow. Oh, the power of words. I'm sure every married couple here this morning know the power of words, that our words can either build up and encourage or do the exact opposite. Proverbs 18, 21, it says that life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who eat from it love its fruit. Hurt people hurt people. And that's why we've got to be so careful to guard our heart for it is the wellspring of life. Ever had a child that's, you know, really in love, you know, and they're only like eight or nine or they say, I like this person and you're trying to explain to them about the importance of guarding their heart at that, at that tender age, <laughs> and, and you're trying to explain to them, no, you don't really need to tell them that you love them right now. You know, we can keep that for a, a later time. 
But it's a tricky thing. And I think sometimes it's even difficult for you and I. I don't think any of us have got this perfectly right either. The importance of guarding our heart no matter what age or stage we are at. But I I just pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to give you wisdom, continue to give us wisdom on when to speak, on when to remain silent. I don't know about you, but if you've ever said something and perhaps felt convicted later on for that which you shared, perhaps we didn't need to. But what I love is that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's why groups coming together at church, being around like-minded people is just vital. Because what I found so fascinating as well is that if you work in a particular work setting, how much time you can spend with your colleagues. And they may not be on the same faith journey even that you are, but yet they have a lot of input into your life, don't they, if we allow them to. They end up giving you great wisdom and advice and you're kind of sitting there thinking, hang on a minute, after months, I probably should be influencing them more than they're influencing me. But if we're going to look after the state of our heart, then we need to be watchful with our words. Number three is fixing our gaze. Proverbs 4, 25 to 26, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Keep, give careful thought to the paths by your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. The pulpit commentary, it reads that the moral gaze is to be steadily fixed because if it wanders aimlessly, it affects the purity of our soul. The man who intends to cheat his neighbour looks this way and that way as to how he may deceive him. In essence, if we wish to keep our heart, we must be guided by simplicity of aim, not looking to the right or to the left, lest we be led astray. For anyone that's been on a hiking expedition, you would know the importance of not necessarily needing to look kilometres further down the track, just simply focusing on putting one foot in front of the other, not even looking to the right or to the left of the path because there's no, other than the scenery, there's no point in that, but just carefully placing one foot in front of the other. And like an elite athlete who keeps vigilant watch over their physical status, so must we in what we look at, the environments that we allow ourselves to be in, the conversations that we allow ourselves to get in at work. There is a level of responsibility to you and I to continually conquer the state of our hearts. It's not only up to someone else, up to God, it's up to you and I to look after the state of our hearts. We ought to be continually setting our face like flint to what we allow into our hearts, lest it determines the course of our life. And the fourth one this morning is in choosing how we respond in choosing how we respond, that we cannot control what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond in life. I remember, again, a lot of university illustrations this morning, but I was at university and um, I was fortunate because my dad began to fly up to Townsville for work and it was just the best because he would come up for a meeting, it would often be a couple of nights, He'd call me to let me know I got to spend some of that wonderful time off campus. He would take me out for dinner. He'd get an extra room so I could stay in the hotel when he was at the meetings. It was just like my favourite thing ever. And one particular afternoon when I was driving over there, I'd parked in the car park, which is slightly dodgy, I must say. 
And I hopped in the lift to go down to where the hotel was. And I'm in the lift with other strangers and the lift just stops working. And if anybody slightly has a, you know, um, fear of claustrophobia, this would be like your worst nightmare. Well, it was kind of like my worst nightmare being stuck in a lift in the heat of Townsville at summertime um, with people that you're meeting for the first time. And we were there for a good couple of hours, I'd have to say. And I just remember being like, I had this plan in my head. I was going to, you know, get to the hotel. My dad was going to take me out for dinner. I was going to see him. And, and uh, being stuck in there for like two hours. And remember, they finally like opened the doors up and just like this breath of fresh air. I was like, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And finally freedom, you know. But I'd learned a great lesson that day, which continues to be a good reminder, is that we cannot choose what happens to us all the time, but we can choose, you know, how we respond. One of the most vital things that we can learn in life, really. But what I actually felt for us today as well is that there there are people that actually feel stuck here this morning, feel stuck between what was, what's to come, perhaps it's in an area of life, and you don't know how to get free from it. And you actually need help. We need the Lord's help in this. We need people to come and help. And so I just want to encourage us in that today. And we're going to pray for people at the end of this morning's service. But that there are people here today that feel that way. You're not stuck in a lift. But you're stuck in an area of life. And you, and you, you need God's help and his hand to get you free from it. A ship headed one degree off initially might not make a lot of difference, but don't you know after 1,000, 10,000 kilometres, that will, ship will end up in a very, very different place. It could be a smaller offence. It could be an embittered word. It might be a hurtful comment. But if we leave it undealt with or lack wisdom in our response, we could end up somewhere very, very different. We need to continually conquer the state of our hearts, lest it determines the course of our life. Ephesians 6.11, it says to put on the full armour of God. And if ever we needed to keep vigilant watch over the state of our hearts, it is now. Revelations reminds us in 12 verses 9 that there is a real, att- real enemy attempting to lead us astray. It only takes one weed. It only takes one root of bitterness. It only takes one action by, done by somebody else, a wedge between even a husband and a wife, And if we allow that to get into our hearts, it can change the course of our life. We can't always choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we get to respond. I'd now love to invite Kathy to the stage to share her testimony with us this morning. Give her a round of applause. Good morning. Um, Can you hear me? Um, For those of you who don't know me, I've been coming to Meriden since we moved into the building, having moved from Brisbane in the middle of last year. I've been walking with the Lord now for 40 years. Um, And this story I'm going to tell you is really a story about Jesus. I just happen to be one of the characters in the story. So my story begins with a dream given to me by the Lord, I believe, In the dream, I was on this boat and I was heading out to sea from harbour. And on the right-hand side were rocks extending out at the bottom of this really tall cliff. Um, 
The boat was cruising along nicely until suddenly it did a sharp turn heading straight for the rocks. In my sheer panic, I said, I'm going to die. Um, and for some unknown reason, the boat found a passage through the rocks. The dream then switched to me sitting at a table in a house high above on the cliff looking out to sea. Someone touched my arm and I turned around to see a man sitting next to me and from him was pouring the most consuming love I have ever felt in my entire life. That was the end of the dream. Not long after, my husband advised me that he was leaving me and our two children to be with someone else. I don't recall much of what happened when he left, but I do remember being in the fetal position in bed. I told my kids to bring their mattresses into the bedroom and the three of us hunkered down for three days. Can you die of a broken heart? It appears not, but it certainly felt that way. Mark 10.8 says, For this reason a man shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer one, no longer two, but one flesh. I felt like someone had taken a chainsaw and cut me in half. Half of me had been ripped away. How I was still living, I did not know. But the only thing that relieved this excruciating pain that I felt was to read my Bible. And if I didn't read my Bible, I knew I was going to die. They truly are words of life. I had no idea how I was going to move forward as my life in my mind's eye was just a gaping black hole. I knew that I needed to take care of my children and in order to do that, I knew I had to go to work. So I focused just on that thing. I could do that one thing. I could go to work. So after three days, I went to work. When the emotions would overwhelm me, overwhelm me, I'd text my sister and she would respond with a scripture. Again, words of life. These scriptures were a lifesaver and helped me go on with my work. I could get through the day. And someone had given me a CD with the song, My Hope is in the Name of the Lord. That song was on repeat in my car going and coming from work. The Lord really was my only hope. Having been a Christian for 20 years at this time in my life, I knew that I had to forgive because God forgave. So I forgave my husband. It wasn't easy, but eventually, after emotions surfaced like anger, resentment, a terrible feeling of being unlovable, being worthless, I could go on and on and on. Jesus and I discussed this in length. I eventually advised him that it was forgiveness from my mouth and my head, but genuine forgiveness would have to come later from my heart. He reminded me of that later, so I have done that. I also knew that I had to tithe because when my husband left, I had all the bills to pay and although he very generously left me the house, 
it meant I also had the mortgage to pay as well on a very small wage. I knew the principle of tithing, giving back what belonged to the Lord and entrusting the rest to him. So no matter how destitute I felt, I now look back and realise that the children and I never went hungry. We were never homeless and the bills were always paid. Somehow, I don't know how. Isaiah 54.5 says, For the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. I asked him to be my husband and trusted him completely with my life. I'm here today to tell you that he has never left me nor forsaken me. Um, all these years later, I can tell you my income went from 40000 a year to over 100000 a year over the span of three different careers. I don't know how you can have three different careers, but I have had three different careers. And I am now mortgage-free, retired and living a very happy, fulfilled life. I'm here to personally tell you the Lord has always been my shepherd. I have never been in want. He leads me beside the quiet waters of Lake Kawana where I now live. He restored my soul completely. And when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he never left my side. And I now live in the house of the Lord forevermore. Isn't she amazing? And what I love about Kathy is that you would never know, you know, you, you would think by if you knew Kathy that, you know, she's got it all together. You'd never know of the journey that she's walked. She's just such a joyful, peaceful, sweet spirited woman. And we're so grateful to have you on team and at church here, Kathy. What a powerful illustration that it's not about what happens to you, but it's how you choose to respond. As the team come back here to join me on stage, in summary today, it's in accepting the love of God that opens our heart. It's our words that reveal our heart. It's fixing our gaze that actually guards our heart. And it's the choices that we make that fill our heart. Let me say that again for us today. In accepting the love of God opens our heart, our words reveal our heart, fixing our gaze guards our heart, and the choices we make that fill our heart. So I want to ask us today, how is our heart health? I'm not talking about your cholesterol level today or if you need to be on blood thinners because your blood's a little thick. I'm talking about the spiritual state of your heart this morning. And today I want to pray for people because perhaps there's been something that's risen this morning that you've started thinking of as I've been speaking or Kathy's shared her most powerful testimony. Perhaps there's some open heart surgery even that needs to be done on us today so that we would accept his love in those areas of our lives that need healing. Why don't you stand with me today and I'd love to pray for us.
Well, Lord, I just thank you for every single person that is here this morning. And before Dan comes back in just a moment, I just ask you, Lord, for those of us that are here today that recognize that we need you in areas of our lives, Lord, that need healing. Perhaps it's an offense or it's, it's something that happened to us or perhaps it's a, res- it's a result of uh, consequences of our own actions. But Lord, I just thank you that we would become whole this morning. And I just pray for every single person that has a need in their life, Lord Jesus, where they're acknowledging you and they're saying, Lord, I need you to heal that broken part of my life. I need you to heal that broken area. I need you to restore me so that I can become whole again. Jesus, I just pray that you would move in this place right now. I just pray that you would minister, Lord God, that you would do open heart surgery in people's lives, Lord God. God, that people would move, Lord Jesus, and people we would see people become whole, God, that we wouldn't see offenses take root and and words, God, and and brokenness, Lord God, but that you are helping us all to become whole. God, I thank you for uh, pure hearts here this morning. I thank you that we would be a church where people would walk in, God, and they just sense this sense of purity in this place, Lord God, because we're people that seek after you, and I just thank you, God. Because we know that it's going to cost us something, Lord. We know it's going to cost us something if we're going to live countercultural, God. If we're going to live for you. And so I just thank you for that this morning. I thank you for every person, Lord God. In your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website. And jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, From all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.